0: Friends, welcome back to Lingering on the Lectionary, where we reflect on the life of the churches, the local academy, and the rhythm of the church's liturgy. Thanks for being here. Today I talk with Pastor Isaac Adams, who serves as lead pastor at Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We talk about his most recent book and ministry focus, the challenge and reward of having conversations about race, and how the gospel should shape these aspects of our lives as believers. Thanks for listening. Uh, welcome, Pastor Isaac. Thanks for being here and taking the time to do this. Today, we're going to discuss your recent work on how the gospel might inform our discussions about race. Uh, but first, could you introduce yourself and tell
1: us a little bit about your church and ministry focus? Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. My name is Isaac, like you said. Uh, <clears throat> married with Uh, A handful of kiddos uh, And I live down here in Birmingham, Alabama I'm not from Alabama I'm from Washington, D.C. originally Uh, Maybe just a short story To kind of get us into what we're talking about Um, uh, I remember telling my mom Who's an incredibly incredibly godly woman uh, Hey, I found a church And she said, oh, that's great And uh, I said, it's in Birmingham And she (laughs) recoiled Or and said, I told the Lord I would never step foot in that city after what they mm. did to those four little girls. Mm. And so, you know, that's the ministry I've the city, kind of city I've come into. I think a lot of things have changed to God's glory, uh, and a lot of things, sadly, remain the same. Um, and so thinking through a lot of that, but anyway, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think we'll talk about talking about race, the book I wrote that came out this past January by God's grace. Uh, I'm also the founder of a ministry called United we pray. That's, uh, you can check us out at the letter or uh, at uwepray.com. That's letter U W E P R A Y.com. That ministry is devoted to praying about racial strife, especially between Christians.
0: Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so, as you're thinking about this uh, most recent book that came out talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations, uh, to open us up, would you mind just uh, telling us what you're up to in this book and what are some of the the major moves or, uh, kind of, uh, overall approach you take, uh,
1: to this, per- this topic? Yeah, man. Um, this is a book answering the question, a question that I think is as important as it is obvious as it is ignored. And the question is, why is it so hard to talk about race for mm. Christians in America? Why is it so hard for them to talk about race with each other? And I think if we gave thought to that question, we would actually be better prepared to tackle the very things we so desperately want to address. Um, and so that's what I try to do is answer that question. And the way I get at it is I answer the question with stor- with a story. Um, and you might want to think of it like a parable. Uh, because the And the and why I do that, so I tell the st- the story of a shooting of an unarmed black man like we often hear sadly in the news uh, over these last uh, few years and i tried to give five different vantage points so, so let's say all these members all these 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 characters are all members of a predominantly white church uh and you know you have your white politically conservative but sympathetic but kind of just like ignorant and uh kind of curious uh brother you have your black brother who's been there forever and he's tired uh you have an asian sister who would love for the conversation to be more than black and white uh you have your uh I'll just use the term woke, though I don't love that term. Uh, But for shorthand purposes, you kind of have your woke white gal who's ready to burn the church down. Uh, You have a kind of hyper conservative counterpart to that. Uh, And then you have their pastor. And I tell this story and then I offer what I call encouragement or pastoral commentary to each character to say, "Okay, we've seen their perspective. Here's how I would challenge this person and encourage them as their pastor. So, and that's really, maybe to cap it here, the perspective on the book is a pastoral mm. perspective. So I think the race conversation has lots of prophets. Uh, some of them are better than others. Uh, I think there are a lot of prophets, but few pastors. Mm. And of course, pastors are to speak prophetically, uh, but, you know, 2 Timothy two twenty four just couldn't be clearer. The Lord's servant must be kind to everyone, not everyone who happens to agree with me, but everyone. Mm-hmm. And so um that's the that's the tenor and tone of the book uh that I hope and pray has been encouraging to folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful.
0: Uh one of the things that struck me as I was reading um the book is the way that you break it down into those two parts where you first uh tell the kind of a hypothetical story but a very familiar scenarios. Um and so just kind of allowing A reader who is coming to this book with trepidation or um, thinking through you know where are you coming from it kind of almost gave me it gave me the opportunity as a reader to vicariously experience some of these uh, situations uh, from a different perspective and kind of telling that story from that first person perspective I thought was really helpful rhetorically for me as it kind of uh you know you're telling the story and i kind of let my guard down as i'm thinking about uh this character and um it kind of had you you mentioned the parable uh kind of parable like uh that was my experience reading the book as as uh, i immediately recognized the type of person being talked about and my first instinct internally was to identify someone else as that person but then as you're, you did a really good job of kind of giving the fully orbed uh, perspective of these these people, because at, at some point there was that turn where, you know, the the thou art the man um, exactly. perspective is like, oh, yeah. yeah, that that's someone I know, but like, oh, that's, that's me, <laughs> right? And so it was in some ways very helpful and insightful, uh, but also at turns uncomfortable because I recognized uh, my own responses to these things uh in in these characters Uh, so I thought that was a a really helpful starting point that one helped me to kind of crack open even some of my preconceptions of what you were doing and what you were up against uh in the book but then it just created a different type of experience for me as a reader and I think um this is something that has uh as you mentioned is sometimes missing in the these types of discussions is truly being able to put yourself uh, in someone else's shoes and consider uh, what that what
1: that process is like. That's right. That's right, man.
0: Praise God. One of the things that you did a couple times with this, kind of staying with that that device you're using in the book is uh, the questions at the end. Uh, the masks uh, you're asking, what mask is somebody uh, wearing? That uh, making the point that everyone in your stories is kind of wearing masks. But they're hiding themselves from multiple different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, h- how important do you think uh, you know that type of uh, move is? Typically, when I think of the mask and as a person, I'm thinking about hiding myself or from a single thing. Uh, but okay. you seem to be talking about this as a, a broader kind of phenomenon that's going on all the time. Um, so, what are, what are some of the ways that you see that? Uh, mask imagery uh, playing itself out as an insight into this discussion
1: yeah just to maybe you know catch some listeners up who uh who might yeah just to say give some context um so yeah that's the main metaphor in the book is that um uh is, is that of wearing a mask and the story behind that was um right after Maud Arbery was gunned down and now i can say murdered uh there was an af there's a black actor uh, who went live on facebook and uh he had gone for a run which is obviously pertinent to ahmad's case um and this is right when covid was breaking and so you know everyone's wearing masks all the time mm-hmm. talked about how as a black man he felt like he had to wear a mask so often well uh He's not the only one who's felt that. In 1896, Paul Lawrence Dunbar writes a beautiful, it's a poem, but really it's a prayer uh, called We Wear the Mask, uh, mm-hmm. echoing the, that same struggle. And uh, it appeared to me that folks, uh, as is often the case, I think, you know, because Blacks, uh just uh, say, African-Americans historically have experienced so much suffering, uh, they teach a lot of people about suffering and reveal mm-hmm to people a lot about their own suffering. And so what I noticed was as a pastor, I had people coming in my office from from all kinds of ethnicities and racial backgrounds who felt like they had to wear a mask in this conversation. Like, you know, you think of, a you know, let's just take a white conservative person who's like, they feel like they have to wear a mask. Now they might not have to, they might not wear it with equal amounts of difficulty or for mm-hmm. equal Reasons, but they wear it nonetheless. And it's that kind of baby step that I'm starting at. And so uh, it's funny because originally I really wanted to call the book We Wear the Mask. And then mm. as COVID continued, the editor was just like, oh, right. right. <laughs> That's just yeah. not going to fly. Uh, and so, uh, and he was right. <laughs> so, um, uh, so, you know, once I died to that, cause I was like, oh, I was so excited to call the book that, but once I died, mm-hmm. um, so that's the main kind of metaphor. And what really I'm getting at there is church should be the one place we don't have to wear masks where we can be. And I don't mean COVID wise. I mean, right. In terms of this story, um, uh, where we don't have to hide church should be the one place where we can be, uh, where we can actually lower our defenses and be known. And Satan is actually quite pleased for the church to be a masquerade ball because Jesus said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another in John 13, 35. And you can't love one another and pretend to like each other. Mm -hmm. It just, those two things don't work. And if the church, if we, if the spirit of God is not powerful enough to equip his people to, have difficult conversations about really important things. What good is Christianity in that sense? Like, mm-hmm. how powerful is it really? And the world will notice. And so that's what I'm dealing with. And so to your point, very astute observation. I appreciate you not skipping the questions as I exhort the readers to do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, tell, I tell each story, and, you know, there's, there's major characters and there's minor characters, right? And the temptation is just to think, oh, I'm hiding from... I'm hiding from this person and the other ethnicity. But Mm -hmm. when reality, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but let's just take Hunter, the first main character. Yeah. Well, he's hiding from Darius. He's also kind of hiding from his wife in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a bit more sympathetic. She's encouraging him to kind of reach out and have some conversations across ethnic lines. And he's just kind of like, I'm just not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, is that wisdom or foolishness? Uh, and Proverbs says, you know, closing our mouths can be both at times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, instruct a fool according, answer a fool according to his folly, don't answer a fool according to his folly. How do you know when to do which? Well, it takes wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm getting at is, um, yeah, I think we're only thinking we need, I think we're only thinking in kind of 2D if we only think the mask goes one way, when in reality, those things can be in our very homes. Mm-hmm. And so each character isn't just kind of hiding from the other, quote unquote. Uh, they're also hiding in their homes, in their workplaces, from themselves in some regard. Mm-hmm. And kind of like that's my hope is what you are getting at is like, man, I've been wearing this mask and deceiving myself. And I'm tempted to think only other people do this when I do it all the time as well. Mm
0: hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful, and I I like the word about uh, wisdom uh, and prudence because thinking about the you know kind of a one size fits all or a one um, action fits the response the proper response because even even the way you pulled these scenarios out and I, I won't reveal any of the the way the story uh, sport you know spoil spoiler alerts but right. Um, i really appreciate it i thought at first these were just going to be discrete stories but they're all connected um as uh and and it's it was helpful to me too because it's like that multi perspective here's a single local congregation and a single local event and then allowing you to kind of uh, experience the different um perspectives because in the way that you kind of set that up with hunter and um darius as thinking about in one scenario, it was probably foolish for him to speak. Right. And in the other scenario, it was wise for him to speak. And then that's, vice versa. There was times when he was silent that's and exactly. it hurt someone else. And there was times that he was silent that it served someone else. That's right. And, um that that was really powerful to see as you know kind of developed over the course of, you know, the conversation and the in the book. Uh, you characterize your Book as you call it a few times a workbook, and we've kind of been hitting at that. It's a strong temptation. You ask us not to do this in the beginning of the book. Don't skip the questions. Yes, um, but I think one of one of the things that the actually working through the book with the di- the difference between reading the book and working through the book was like considering the ways in which you know the characters that I felt like I actually identified with, or either positively or negatively. I had to work through that. And then also the characters that were the most different than me in terms of perspective or, you know, social location, I had to work through like, what is it that I think is right here? And what is that that I think is wrong here? Cause you're asking some of the same questions in these different scenarios. Um, so that was really instructive. Uh, cause I wanted to ask you, um, in a second, like, how do you envision like people like using this book? Starting, like, with a a broader question or a prior question, like, in many ways, I was very impressed by how accessible and easy to read the book is, so I just commend you on that. But in substantive ways, too, because it was accessible and easy to access, it was difficult and exhausting to work through. If, if, if I was actually working through the book versus just reading it, yeah. it was exhausting because it was challenging me, it was convicting me, it was encouraging me and maybe all at the same time Um, and I thought a couple times this must have been exhausting to write Um, so as you were thinking like just the writing process and and pulling those things together if you're willing to share like what was that process like uh, in terms of what where you were going uh, in your own personal life because you mentioned at one point you're writing on uh, January 6th of last year Mm -hmm. and just thinking about the implications of Mm -hmm. you know the stuff that's going down at the Capitol and then our in our world as you're trying to write this this um help helpful guide
1: yeah man i appreciate the question chad Uh, the short answer is uh miserable i -hmm. mean it was i say in the acknowledgments, um this is not just one of the hardest things i've ever written it's one of the hardest things i've ever done And it still is, even after moving my family, you know, 750 miles, uh, been through a lot of hard things, but man, I felt the spiritual warfare I felt I experienced during this book was so acute, so stressful that it, I mean, I kind of, I don't think I realized it until we got to this point of things I had been asking the question throughout writing it, is this worth it? Mm. And God be praised, the answer is so clearly yes to me. Um, and I really even feel like, it's funny, I'm just an Exodus kind of reading about the construction of the tabernacle. I really feel mm. like God gave, first of all, writing is a community project. I saw someone say that recently, and the editors just made this book. So, so I handed them this, you know, feeble, you know, <laughs> with my here's my bread and a couple of loaves of bread and, and my fish. Uh, mm-hmm. and, they, and by God's grace, they multiplied it. Uh, and they said, it's a good book and we think it can be a great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in their edit, I mean, man, that thing came back up marked up with red pen. Um, but uh, so all that to say, man, like it was so difficult. And, you know, they say easy reading is hard writing. And so I'm oh, glad yeah. it's accessible. I'm glad it was. Cause that's what I tried to do is again, like I did like, like so many articles on CRT or whatever, they're so complicated that you was like, What? I don't even understand what's happening, what you're trying mm-hmm. to communicate to me. And so, at least, you know, I'd said, Hey, you might not agree with me, but you're at least going to understand what I say. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, you know, most books, I'm just not godly enough to read them and do the like little discussion questions at the end. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I always skip those and I know most readers do. And that's why I called them out at the beginning to say, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like working out like, Hey, you can like, you know, do the pushups on your knees or whatever you need to do. And that's all you can do. Praise God. I'm glad you, you know, bought the book and read it, but you will get a better workout if you do these questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also what I'm also trying to subtly convey in in the very exercise, I hope it's kind of manifesting the message of the book which is that this will take work and yeah. if you think you can just fly through it without having to use your god-given brain uh, in which the Lord commands us to not only love him with our strength, soul and heart but also with our mind mm. and I think We as evangelicals have so often not loved the Lord with our mind as regards this issue And that's why I said, hey, answer these questions, treat this like a workbook And so my hope, maybe, maybe, maybe the question you're asking next or that you just asked Is that church, is that, I mean, man, I had always been praying and want to pray still That the Lord would use this to bless real churches Which is why I try to get as gritty in the details of a real, this is a real church There are real problems with real sinners with really different perspectives and a really stressed out pastor in the middle. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just don't hold back on answering the very sincere questions people have asked me as a pastor. Uh, So, you know, that's why I say this isn't a systematic theology so much uh, as it is a parable. And my hope is that the mirror is held up to you. And in those questions, I think, you know, just like, who who am I hiding from? Like, mm-hmm. why don't I pray for this kind of person? And so my hope is that, you know, I think, you know, we've been thinking about kind of doing a discussion guide or anything like that. But um, what I was going to say was, was, you know, I got a message the other day that this this group was using the book and they read the introduction in chapter one and talked about the questions. Yeah, but Just that simple question of like, when did you first notice racial tension? Right. I mean, that alone can be a community group discussion guide. Yeah, for sure. And so um, so that's how I pray it be used, and uh, God be praised. I think that prayer is being answered.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. The, um, the nature of the rhythm of the book with the story, the parable, and then the questions, like even as I was pausing to consider those, it like, I guess the nature of the discussion and then also, of course, the way that you're... Uh, fronting the relational aspect of that and the conversation it's like crying out to be talked with others so like this book has spilled out into you know talking with my wife talking with my family talking with my students uh, because it's like oh I've never thought of that or um, it just uh, you know it's uh, designed to prompt you to talk to another person about this
1: that's Um, right and that's why I try to say you know like
0: this isn't just about
1: how to. I'm actually trying to start the conversation for you. Yeah, kind of jumpstart in that sense.
0: Well, and uh, your comments about the local church. It's. Uh, I think you nailed the relational dynamics that you can only that you only really experience in a local church or a local congregation. Um, for even just the rhythm of pastoral work. If anyone has ever been in ministry, they have experienced the feast of Sunday. Yeah and the wilderness of Monday um, as you're as you're working through that and then to get hit with uh, you know you you labored over whether you should say something how you should say that and then trying and crying out with all your heart for this to work and to be helpful and then to get hit with that email yeah on one side it's it wasn't enough but on another side that little that was done was too much right and as you're that's, that's right. a that's a dynamic of pastoral ministry that we have to grapple with. But that's right. the burden of this particular conversation, the r- racial tensions and the race conversation just uh, amplified that. Um, and, and it just kind of the, in the context of a local church is a unique place where that conversation is going on. It has its own uh, pitfalls, but also its own uh, places of of grace that in both of those really only exist in a local a local church congregation
1: that's right that's right
0: man so i I appreciated too the uh emphasis on the you know the pastoral council because uh i got to you know i get to a chapter and then think man what there just feel the burden of the complexity of the situation it's like how would i ever speak into that or what would you say and then the next chapter kind of just walk through some of those major categories so that that rhythm of the book i think uh, was instructive uh, as well as you're thinking about just not just the content of what you're doing but the the rhythm of yeah how I would meant- you challenge somebody but also encourage them and what ratio does that need to be what emphasis and that's the you know the the wisdom of pastoral uh, leadership and counseling as well but something that definitely could be uh, emulated you know by readers and you know people in, in the congregation,
1: I hope so, man. And that's where you know I. S- that's maybe you know I say spiritual warfare. I'm sure a lot of it was, but just the stress of it of like, okay, in this you know in these you know the stories are really I don't know 1500 words something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, each you know each of the five or whatever they are. Um, I in that in those 1500 words, I felt like I brought up 1500 different issues. So it's mm-hmm. like. I think the stress of being like, what do I bite off? And that's where I just had to back up and be like, you know, realistically, I can only bite off three things. And here are the three things right. out of all these, like we have to do some triage. And here in my judgment are the three things I would address with this person, you mm-hmm. know, with their understanding of history, uh, you know, this question about should they stay at their church, whatever it might be. Um, and that's where I felt like, man, I'm just going to get skewered here, but I actually feel like the most dangerous part of the book in that sense, or like what felt like the most dangerous part in writing it, veering into, you know, okay, I'm going to make a judgment and a uh, and prioritize these aspects mm. of the conversation. I think that actually most everyone has felt that same danger, but they've been paralyzed, so most of us just don't make the judgment. We just right. We just don't have the conversation. And then I realized, you know what? This isn't, you know, I think all of us, I think so many of us are tempted to think we can resolve this in one conversation. And as pastors, we know there's no case right. that you can resolve in one counseling meeting. It's like, that's why the it's so hard to know when to stop meeting with someone. It's like, are we through these mountains? Mm-hmm. Are we just, you know? And so like, that's where I, I that's when I felt, started feeling the freedom of like, I'm not trying to finish the conversation. I'm trying to start it. Yeah. And if we could at least do that, I think we can, you know, be off to the races in some helpful ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Somebody um, I heard somebody once say, I forget who said it. I say it all the time now. Uh, and I always say, I forget who said this, uh, but something <laughs> about like parenting and talking to, with your kids about issues of sexuality. Um oftentimes we talk about that as the conversation, like the big conversation. Yeah. And they said something along the lines of parenting. It's not about one magical conversation. It's about 10,000 conversations throughout throughout their life. And that's, so like, I feel like that's kind of what you're helping. It's, it, it's not like, uh, at least for, for myself speaking, you know, from personal experience, I've uh, been like frozen and not spoken because I'm thinking like I have to get everything right or I don't want to uh, step on anybody's uh toes or, or offend somebody even for more but you know kind of working through a, a resource like that you provided here is thinking through oh well I could I could do some of that I could do like have smaller conversations yeah um, in a context of of trust that there's give and take uh, there's offense and forgiveness and and that's a missing component sometimes uh that stymies these discussions
1: amen amen yeah i mean if if like i say in the book like i try to lay out like you can be a godly person and disagree with me about some of my judgments right i admit Mm -hmm. that not everything i'm saying is thus saith the lord and i think that gives people the freedom to feel like they can actually engage in what i'm saying right because what we don't see on Twitter is that kind of freedom allowed of, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I'm not going to bind your conscience here. And if all I do is leave a rock in your shoe and you improve that much more in your conversations, I'm pretty pleased.
0: Yeah. So that first part of your book is kind of what we've been talking about. And then you shift into uh, a few places – or the second major part of your book is uh, where you kind of – take some of the things that you've kind of been have assumed and embedded within the, uh, you know, kind of this engaging structure of counseling and story, and then kind of give it in a little more straightforward, systematic way. Yeah, Um, And then you're able to kind of pull those things uh, together. I thought that was really effective. Uh, And one of the the distinctions you make is between the racial justice conversation and the racial reconciliation conversation. Um, So I just wanted to ask, how do you how important do you think is this particular distinction and this is one of the things that you kind of discussed there and then what do you think is lost or confused like if this distinction isn't made uh, in these
1: discussions yeah man that's a really good question um, um and again just encourages me because i think i only explicitly make that distinction in the glossary which means you read the glossary which oh yeah <laughs> which makes me super happy um but what I'm trying to highlight there is that often, you know, I, I use the metaphor in the book that the race conversation often feels like we're talking in Babel, like we're just having different conversations. We're using the same word, different dictionaries or to go back to the Babel metaphor. We're trying to build something. It might even be something good. I mean, Babel was not good. It was for man's. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to build up this church, but we're speaking different languages. And it just feels like we are frustrated and under God's judgment. Um. And so one of the ways, you know, we talk past one another is we have different conversations. And so mm-hmm. it seemed I don't think it was clear to people, but it kind of clicked in my brain that, OK, there are two conversations at least happening here from let's just call, you know, ethnic minorities perspective. They're often talking about racial justice mm-hmm. uh, and for majority folks in the majority culture are often talking about reconciliation. Now, those two are related, Right but uh, you can you be reconciled without the justice and all of mm-hmm. it? and that's the fundamental question it's like we need a reckoning but then people are like well we've been reckoned at the cross and then people are like yeah but we still need to repent of sin and so mm-hmm. uh it, maybe it's summed up like one black brother said i'll start talking about reconciliation when y'all start talking about racism
0: mm-hmm.
1: right there i think we capture uh the fundamental tension where it's you know a lot of brothers and sisters in the majority are thinking this conversation is done or should be done. And a lot of folks in the minority are thinking, when is the real conversation actually gonna begin? Right. And that's the distinction that I think what you see is folks are it, it just get and then it just gets really confused because uh one focuses on, okay, we've been made one, and the other focuses on what's preventing us from being one. Mm-hmm. and so we're like what what's the issue why like this was dealt with and then alas you have what we mm-hmm. still often see in here today
0: yeah well I appreciated the um, distinction I th- you kind of hit at it in different ways throughout the book but um, I thought those were helpful uh, definitions and distinctions in the in that glossary is very helpful in the sense of uh, one of the reasons I kind of uh, notice that uh, you, the distinction you made here is because uh, sometimes I've I've seen uh, in my context sometimes the um, the racial reconciliation conversation is used to mute the racial justice conversation. Exactly, and then exactly. then vice versa in a different context. Exactly. And I really I really liked the nuance you gave, but then also demonstrating that those don't have to be at odds and that okay. they are they're not mutually exclusive they're they're organically connected
1: yeah that's exactly right that's well well read chad
0: well we talked about um some of the difficult parts of writing the book but just a- as we kind of f- finish this formal discussion of the book like were there were there any f- like favorite insights you had or surprising discoveries as you wrote the book you know i guess it could be positive or negative but like if you were thinking through like something that you had thought about but then the, at the process of writing this book were there any are there any of those moments for you
1: yeah i think a few yeah you know i don't want to make it all sound like it's just terrible though it, that's you know, about <laughs> the of it right yeah I tell people i feel a bit i have a bit of a writer's hangover from this book people are like so what are you thinking about next i'm like no oh, yeah, yeah. Nope. nothing <laughs> thinking about nothing next about writing my let my con- I write my congregational letter every week, and that's that's all the writing yeah. I'm doing right now, and that's I love good. it. Um But no, there was, I mean, there's a couple fun themes. So, like maybe, and I don't think these are spoil alerts, you know. I think I was really enjoying this theme of breath in the book. Mm. And you'll notice if you go back and reread, like just look for the times people are like out of breath, or the times they're saying the word yeah. shoot. And yeah. like I'm just kind of enjoying enjoy I mean, I'm uh but just as a writer, yeah, you know, enjoying the device of that play on words mm-hmm. of shoot and I can't breathe or she yeah. was trying to catch her breath. Mm-hmm. And that just plays on, you know, Eric Gardner and these, you know, I can't breathe kind of themes. Yeah. Um so that'd be one. I think another thing, man, is just it really did like I did enjoy it's funny, because at, at first, the story, I didn't, I you know, if you don't do it right, they can be super cheesy and super, you know, super just like, yeah. this feels like, you know, a lot of Christian movies, just super lame. And that's what, and so I was like, is this really that helpful? And it was funny that I thought the kind of gold was the, the kind of straightforward didactic stuff in part two and you know when i gave the book to my friends and critics some of them uh to read in kind of manuscript form they were like oh yeah your didactic stuff is all well and good but it's the story that you get me at Mm -hmm. and so i think man just creating these characters and just you know it kind of felt like c.s lewis talks about this with screw tape letters like He talks about he has something at the end where he talks about like it was so it was kind of easy to write such wicked dialogue because it Mm -hmm. it was in me it'd be really he was like it would be really hard to write the dialogue between angels or something Mm -hmm. like and i found that too like it was really easy to basically restate what's happening on twitter yeah but to actually depict reconciliation beautifully was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, someone asked me, like, why didn't you wrap up all the characters' stories? I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm a good enough writer to do that. And that also doesn't happen in a fallen world. So I only had one, and that's all I could really think of. And so, yeah. um, yeah, man. So it was, it was a humbling experience as a writer, fun at a lot of points, and just yeah man just how many people i mean man there are some of my friends they have read that book 15 times with the drafts and the tweaking the stories and you know i had characters that i wrote out characters that are like samantha lee for example
0: mm-hmm. she was
1: not a major character uh at all until the end mm-hmm. until kind of the foil for her twin sister anna beth and you know one is like Hyper conservative, colorblind and the other is anti racist, woke, whatever. Yeah, and they clash really badly. But I think in that you see the clashing going on in our churches. So, yeah, yeah man, a lot of fun. I kind of honestly look at the book and just feel like you know the Lord gave me grace to write it, and He's taking that grace right back, and I'm, like, yeah. I'm done. So yeah,
0: there. <laughs> so that's good. Well, I was, uh, was going to share my um, one of my favorite parts of the book um was kind of what we're talking about the, the that rhythm of uh, well one capturing the dynamic of local church ministry but yeah. then also the stories kind of had that cumulative effect because it wasn't just one in that multiple perspective that's so powerful but then you left the tension hanging and then you went through the second part of the book, those three chapters where you're kind of system, uh, systematically kind of talking about some of those things. Yeah. So as a, my experience as as a reader, like that tension is staying. And then back of my mind, I'm thinking, OK. I know that that I know what the title of that chapter is. I'm like, how is he? How is this going to work? Right. right. Um, my. um I have two daughters, and the my oldest daughter is data driven. She loves talking about so she got this like disaster book one year when she was younger and uh, she loved all of the uh, details and she kind of these horrific details about like the the damage that was done by these tornadoes but wow. the book the book had kind of told a story about you know one of these uh, math problems where you know Jimmy and um Jimmy is going through to to his family, and then this tornado comes and all the this stuff. Well, hope is or my da- for oldest daughter is, is telling this story. And she had started there and then started going off on the the data crunching. And then at my my uh, s- s- second oldest daughter, she starts like, getting anxious and then at some point she just explodes She's like what happened to the boy <laughs> she was concerned about the story and that she right. was in the middle of a tornado right. and right. so i had kind of had that uh just reading reading the your book as a whole i'm thinking like i want to see that tension but uh resolved like i'm it created a longing for it as a reader and yet i also because you know I'm cynical. And I'm like, if this wraps up too, too close, that was like, that's not real life that, you know, and so as I read through that, it was like a glimpse of grace, but Mm -hmm. also not a superficial thing. It was just Mm -hmm. enough of a sense of thinking in the gospel, because reading those stories, I, I started to feel like the weight and the, you know, just the burden of, our world and just th- this conversation is just so heavy and then you know it can kind of put you in this sense of like there's no hope this yeah. is it's so embedded into who we are yeah um my youngest daughter uh we t- i took her to the movies for the first time uh this year and she uh was sitting in the th- she'd never been in the theater before and when the uh the movie started she just got her eyes got real big. She got real still, and she kept saying, "How could this be? How <laughs> could this be?" You know, and it because she had never seen anything like this before. You know, and it was like Peter Rabbit or something, <laughs> like. Right. Um, but I thought about that when I read that last chapter of mm. the hint and the just the glimpse of of grace and the way that the the gospel works in people's lives, and I just thought in in light of that the the despair of those of that situation and and racial tension when you experience reconciliation or when you see it or even hear the story of it it's almost like how could this be like how could in this scenario in our world that's so polarized how could this type of reconciliation and grace happen and so that was one of my favorite parts of your book is that you helped it was challenging and convicting and a lot of diagnosis, but also this glimpse of of hope in these conversations. Um, mm. so the, the hope that comes from the local church in the gospel. Um, so I really appreciated the way that that uh, came together. and lots of tools and lots of, of work and homework that I need to do with it, but just even going through that process of feeling the weight of the discussion, but then also the lift of of grace. So, I, again, I appreciate your work in the book, and I realized that this was hard-earned uh, effort um, so that I could just read it as a reader. Uh, but
1: Bless the Lord, man. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I just—at I, the end, I, I'll say I was pleased with how the book ended. Like, I was—the Lord was really kind to allow that ending to come about. And, you know, I, I think we're both trying to not spoil it, obviously, if you're—I <laughs> think, like— I'll just say, you know, that's what we see in the gospel is you would ex- I think everyone will go to that chapter expecting this person to apologize or this kind of expecting the kind of and then you're like, wait, what's happening right here? Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, I don't you know that's not me trying to pat myself on the back, but that's just me saying like, but that's actually what happens in real Christianity. Yeah. Is there are and so so maybe to sum it up like this, this was this is when I knew I think I was like, okay, I think this is headed in the right direction. I had a friend of mine who is very intelligent, uh, and agrees with me on eight out of ten things, probably. Uh, and he was reading one of the chapters, he's like, Who's the bad guy? Mm. You know, he was reading the conflict between these two characters. Like, I can't tell which one's the bad guy. I was like, perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm shooting for. That's good. Because the answer is we all are and Christ Jesus is the only hero. So we need to deal honestly with that and so it can't just be the minority is perfect without blemish, without fault and the white, you know, counterpart is totally he's actually totally depraved but the minorities aren't. This is not real life. Right? And I think we've been so often dealing in pretend caricatures of one another that I hope people are refreshed by, like, this is real life. Yeah. This is real apology. This is real shame. This is real forgiveness. And this is real rebuking.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's good. I, I really appreciate that, uh, hearing your perspective on that. This isn't your first book. Your first book is uh, called Training. How, Training uh, How do I grow as a Christian in the yeah. Nine Mark series? Uh, so how, do, how do, you, do, do you see any of the emphasis in your uh, this last book uh, in relation to that fr- uh, first book? Like, do you see any connection between uh, that emphasis on discipleship and how to grow as a Christian? And how would you connect that to uh, a book on uh, having conversations about race? Because uh, I think in some ways uh, that's part of the divide too, is like how does like preaching the gospel and doing discipleship and then seeing the conversations about race as totally separate, yeah. um, or collapsing those categories. So, like, yep. how would you see what you're doing in that first book in relation to kind of this 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 latest project?
1: Yeah, well, there's a there's one that's just technically like as a writer. That book is also a lot of story, and mm. I think and and they asked me to write it. That all those books in that series, it's kind of like here's this character. Mm. Um, that book is written for folks in um, disadvantaged communities and story is really helpful for them um and you know i found i kind of enjoyed this character that i am like you know i think there's some like surprising turns even with that guy right um and so i think in the lord's providence it kind of gave me a practice swing at writing at writing writing about characters and things like that but so that's just kind of the technical writing side uh, as to the, like, the bridge between the two, you know, there's one character in talking about race who's quite upset, you know, he hears what the church does, he thinks it's too much, and he, he writes his pastor a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a strongly worded note saying, um, you know, just preach the gospel. And, you know, as pastors and even as Christians, that's not our task, ultimately. Uh, I love the gospel, I am a gospel man and a gospel preacher. Um, and so to say it's not our task is too strong. It's not mm-hmm. our only task. Um, it's a primary thing we do, but the Great Commission, what we see is we are to teach all that Christ has commanded. And so we teach and preach the gospel message. And we also encourage, Paul said, Christ upper claim Paul's goal was to present everyone mature in Christ. So as we mature as Christians, We are to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to do what's right without ignoring the others. You know, Jesus says to the Pharisees, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others, faithfulness, justice, love, mercy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I get it that in the book when I'm talking about just discipleship and training, when I talk about discipleship, just generally of like we are to love God and we are to love our neighbor who has made Mm it and this book talking about race is kind of a distilled thought on how to love our neighbor especially with our mouths
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's really helpful um one of the things as uh just kind of summing up our conversation um here i want to respect your time as well um but thinking about uh one of the distinctives that i really appreciated about uh talking about race is one that it was entering into the uh, with eyes wide open the racial conversation that's going on in our uh, culture today but also connecting that directly to uh, discipleship within local congregations and then also that emphasis on prayer
1: yeah
0: Uh, that's right and so the uh your first two books and your, uh, ministry, uh, United We Pray, uh, you've given us, um, the tools, uh, and some resources, uh, to actually, uh, enact and try to work through the things you say, uh, in your book, so I really appreciate, uh, the work that you've done, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for it, and I've started to use it, uh, as I mentioned, in my own life, uh, and family, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll definitely be returning to this one, and hopefully, working through it with others, um, mm. as well. And mm. so I, I, and I also appreciate, of course, you coming on, uh, on, on today and, uh, talking, talking with us. So.
1: Hey, man. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, man, there's, I mean, you hit, you, you, you live in a weird tension. This is the last thing I'll say before we wrap up. You live in mm-hmm. a tension as an author where you're like, I hope people read this. And then that's one side of you. And the other side, you're like, I am terrified. For people you're like, this. oh, no. Oh, no. People are actually reading it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh crap. Uh, people are actually picking it up. And like, <laughs> is this worth 19 bucks? Like, I hope so. So like, uh, but man, just man, it's honestly, it feels like less than a, you know, of an interview and more of just an encouragement session that people really did grapple with what I had to say. And that is a blessing to me. So thank you for that, man.